0: More of The Great Scott Show with Scott Prather on Sports Radio ESPN 1420.
1: He is the uh, voice of the Ram football team. He is the voice of the rage Cage women's basketball team. He is a guy that consistently stays busy and is a, uh, man, if you live in Lafayette or the Acadiana area, you'll see him around. He's involved in everything and has been for years. A Princeton grad, that would be Mr. Ian Ozan. I, I tried my best to just build up your, uh, your introduction into just a guest spot. I might have gone overboard, Ian, but I felt like I did you do justice, my friend. All right, Ian, I, I, I just gave you a big build-up. I said all this nice stuff, but you didn't hear any of it because uh, I had the I had the wrong cue button pushed in. But I'll just go ahead and I'll well, just welcome the, you in.
0: I heard the first part about it, about uh, <laughs> all the way up through Voice of UL with its basketball, if you live in Lafayette, the Acadiana. I, I figured you were going to go to the Cheers thing. He's he's like uh, Sam Malone. Everybody knows your name. But um, – but uh, yeah, I, it cut out. It's like, hold on, wait. Did my phone drop out? Because I know my cell phone's not the greatest. But man, I was I was so excited to see what it would be. Well, let, let's
1: let's talk about things dropping out because, you know, in the in the NFL, when you're doing these playoff games and you do, you know, you had some games with some fans in the stands, but not a ton. Uh, in Buffalo, you know, in Seattle, where your decibel levels are typically, you know, just. Uh, through the roof and and they're all yelling sea fence and and the 12 and all that stuff. Well, nothing like that was happening last week. I just used that as an example. You know, we could go to the Superdome. We could go to a number of venues. But, you know, how much do you think the COVID-19 protocols in terms of attendance, how big of an impact is that on these games and the outcome of these games, if at all, in your mind?
0: I think it has some impact because when you, especially in the Superdome, you use that as an example, you can tell the noticeable difference between the crowd noise and an actual crowd. And if you're a professional wrestling fan, you know what pipe noise sounds like because the WWE did in the mid-90s, WCW did it before they went out of business. Pipe noise does not sound good on TV. It doesn't sound good in the arena and the players know the difference. You can tell because in the Superdome, especially during the playoffs, the roar is different when it's a real crowd. The roar is different. The noise is different. It's a much louder cacophony. It's not that steady, sustained uh, cheer. That's the that was the biggest surprise for me watching the game Sunday for the Saints. Yeah, you heard the crowd noise, but it was subdued. It felt like it felt like a preseason game with the level of noise that you had. If this were in a normal year, if this were a non-COVID year, the Superdome would have been absolutely raucous. The roof would have been blown off, to use that cliche. I remember back in the day, NBC, during the NBA playoffs, would use, back when they did games in Sacramento, would use the decibel meter to show how loud the arena was. And in some cases, they would put the crowd mic so hot you couldn't hear the announcers. If this were a normal year. That's the kind of situation you'd have had. In the Superdome. you go to Pittsburgh, you look at how it affected. If you had the Pittsburgh Steelers faithful at Heinz Field, does Cleveland jump out to a twenty-eight nothing lead? Do you have the crowd? Does the crowd's interaction mess up Cleveland and their and their pacing on offense? If the crowd is there, are they as steady? Or are they cheering as steadily for Pittsburgh? You would have figured that by the end of the first half, Bid Roethlisberger and company would have been booed in Pittsburgh because it's, it's freaking Pittsburgh. They're not going to keep cheering, oh, go get them, go get them. You'd have had people booing the living daylights out of the Steelers after the first half. Uh, and I'd imagine with the comeback they mounted, the crowd would have been much more raucous once Pittsburgh started coming back in the third quarter. So, yes, I think it would, it would have made a difference in sub cases, especially in a game like that. If the the piped in crowd noise just doesn't cut it. It's not
1: the same. espn 1420 and com. we've got Ian Ozan on with us. Uh, I mean, to a, a, a lesser extent at the high school level, calling games this year, how different was it, do you think, for the players? Or is this more of a high-level college pro issue?
0: I think early in the season the players noticed it because especially early on when the LHSAA and schools were more strictly enforcing social distancing and uh, attendance capacities, it was, it was a big thing. And I used the, uh, the John Curtis game as an example, and that would be a bad example because you also had a hurricane issue to deal with, especially for Katyana fans. If it were a regular season game and that game had been scheduled months in advance and you didn't have to worry about anything, Joe Yanni Stadium would have been packed. Instead, it was played in not even a quarter-filled stadium on a Sunday afternoon, and the crowd was subdued. So I think that would have gotten to the players. But then you look at other games, and you look at the season opener at LCA, where the stadium appeared to be packed. You look at the state championship game, where where the stadium was, uh, was more than half full and seemed to be packed. And the crowds were raucous. The players felt it. The players felt the the felt that environment. It, it felt like a normal game. It I can for Acadiana I think they got the same kind of experience they would in a typical year in terms of attendance, in terms of in terms of crowd reaction. Because in the regular season, most of their games are on the road, and a lot of the road games they played, you had you had stadiums that either because of how they're built or because in some cases they just didn't uh, didn't follow the protocol, you had had crowds that were loud, that were walkers, that were big. It felt like a regular season. It felt like a normal game. You get to the playoffs where Acadiana is playing in a half-filled stadium or a quarter-filled stadium because they are following protocols. They are following social distancing. They're limiting the number of people that are in. I think that's where we saw the big difference because if this would have been a normal season with as good as this team had been, there would not have been an empty seat at Bill Dodson Stadium. Every seat would have been full. It would have been even louder than what we heard. I think that was the biggest surprise for me. For as empty as Bill Dodson Stadium was, it was still loud. It was still raucous. And I remember thinking to myself in the by district round, it's like, man. Either these, found, uh, either these fans are louder than I thought or the, or the acoustics of the stadium carry much better because it felt like a wreck and ram game because you had, for me anyway, it felt like you had the same amount of noise despite the fact you had much fewer people in the stands. So I'll give credit to the and wreck and rams faithful for that. They brought the noise, They, to use the Mr. Bitterline, line, they brought the wood. But I can only imagine what it would have been like in a normal
1: season if that city would have impacted. It would have been even louder. ESPN1420.com, Ian Ozan, our guest. Ian, I want to uh, get into some historical sports discussion with you in terms of greatest coaches because there's plenty of discussion about Nick Saban um, yesterday and a little bit today. But before we do that, you're, uh, you're calling Rage Cage of Cage Women's Hoops and uh, you were planning on a, a trip to last week and it didn't happen. Uh, COVID nineteen issues within the Little Rock program postpone that series. When they say postpone, do you think that's do <laughs> you think that's what they mean, or do they mean postpone until we cancel it later?
0: I think it's postponed until we cancel it later because if you look at the schedule, there's really no time to build in, not unless they force the cage to the Little Rock to play four games in a single week. Well,
1: can I, that my only I'll, the only thing I'll say is I think my thought in is the the reason they they might say postpone and I could be wrong, but I think it's similar to their approach in football in that. Look, if, if there's a weekend where the Cajuns are scheduled to go somewhere and then that program has COVID issues and then little rock is scheduled to host the program. And then that program has COVID issues. Well, now they're both just kind of sitting there and they have a few days to prepare. Now we can play this series because our other ones this weekend got postponed. If that makes sense, you know what I'm saying? Like, you leave that window open just in case there's another one where, all right, we just need an opponent this weekend and we've already had a bunch postponed. So I think, I think that's why they leave. That's why they word it like that. But if everything else goes off as planned and I don't think it will, uh, but if it did, there's just, there's like you said, there's no way to fit it in.
0: Right. That's the only way. And I, and I can see what you said and I hadn't given that any consideration. The only hang up with that is women's basketball. You've got, a bunch of players that then have to re you have players you have a coaching staff that have to figure out what their next move is going to be and what we've seen with the postponement so far at Sun Belt conference play they've come awfully late in the game they've come on a Wednesday or a Thursday so that leaves very little time for these teams to make the arrangements to shuffle their schedules and move elsewhere so that's the only hang up if the king on okay we're going to leave them postponed and maybe we could reshuffle if need be that at that point now you at that point you have to hope that the postponement God forbid other games get postponed if they happen they would have to happen early in the week on a Monday or Tuesday to allow these teams to reshuffle I don't see that happening because I think these teams are going to I, I don't know what testing schedules are like at the other universities but if they're testing middle of the week if they're testing on a Tuesday Wednesday tests come back late Tuesday early Wednesday or or, or even into late Wednesday, early Thursday, then you're having an issue in trying to reschedule because at that point, on a Thursday, you're trying to reshuffle a schedule on 24 hours notice. It becomes a little bit difficult. That's the only issue I would see with with the idea of trying to keep schedules open. But I get it.
1: ESPN 1420, Ian Ozen, our guest. Uh, Ian, I want to get your thoughts on uh, the team's play so far, you know, the, the Raging Cajun men have split their first two conference series, and I know you don't get as much a chance to see them. I know you read about it, but considering that they play uh, at the same time as the women, uh, what you've seen early on from Gary Broadhead's squad and how often they had to play on the road early, I mean, they've they've been pretty busy here. I think in their last outing, which feels like a month ago, though it was only a week and a half ago, it was... Very, very impressive, and how they responded. But uh, prior to that, you know, they had lost a number of games. So, I'm, I've, I've listened to you. I've listened to the broadcast. Um, you know, I've read the box scores. I've read the recaps. But you, you've been there in person. You know, what's the biggest issue with this team, and what's the biggest positive?
0: The biggest issue with this team is that in closed games, they don't know how to close out. You look at the Louisiana Tech game; it was a game they should have won. They missed four critical free throws in the final minute of the game, or let's see, four, five, they missed four free throws down the stretch. I think of was the final minute, final two minutes. They hit those four, they win the game by one. The LSU game, they were, I think, going into the fourth quarter, they'd, they'd hit all but one of their foul shots. In the fourth quarter, they miss, what was it, four of six or miss five of seven free throws. They lose by three. You hit those foul shots, you beat LSU on the road, in what would have been a statement victory at that point of the season. So right now, instead of being two and five, two and six, I don't have the record in front of me. It's early in the morning, so my mind's hazy right now. The Cajuns should have probably two more wins on their records. They should be at or well, one game above 500 right now based on how their foul shooting has gone. The Rice game that's a game that you go play to get experience and to, and to be humbled, because when you're playing with a, when you're playing a team that has a six foot nine center, they're just feeding the ball to her up in the middle for the first half. And there ain't no way you win in that game. That's that was one of those games when you see how big Rice was, and the and the market size advantage they had over the Cajuns. That's when you look at it, it's like, okay, this one's going to be a bit of a washout. And it turned out to be, and I'm blanking on the center's name. God, she just dominated. She. She imposed her will on the Cajuns in that contest. The biggest thing, though, with the Cajuns, and the one thing that I I like about this team is that they're scrappy. They don't quit. They play well, and they've gotten better over the course of the season. They've improved. And despite the fact that at at Texas State, they were without uh, Johnson, they were without Ty Doucette, they were without two players Mm who towards the back end of the stretch, especially Louisiana Tech, had played well. They went into Texas State, and especially on Saturday, getting foul calls. Because Friday night, they couldn't buy a foul to save their life. And that made a difference in the game. I'm not going to harp on officiating, but I think officiating made a difference in Friday's game. But the Saturday game, where they were getting fouls, where they were aggressive, they were hitting their foul shots, and their defense, their full-court defense, played absolutely phenomenally and held. Texas State to only two points in the second quarter. When you see a team play as, as a well-rounded, as full of a game as the Cajuns did, you've got to think, my God, they're going to be dangerous at conference. That was what we had been expecting from them all season long. But it finally clicked when it mattered in the, at the start of Sun Belt play. They'd been trying it. We had seen signs of it throughout the early part of the year. But everything finally gelled in that second game at Texas State. They had the momentum going, which is the worst part about the Little Rock series getting canceled, that they finally had some momentum. I'm just hoping that will be able to carry over this weekend.
1: ESPN 1420 and that Ozan our guests uh, and you can hear all those games here on ESPN 1420. Alright, uh, Ian, Nick Saban won his seventh national championship, uh, sixth on Monday night in, I think, you know, personally, I find the Bama dynasty somewhat boring. And, and to be fair, I find a number of dynasties boring. It's not boring to the coach, to the players, to the fans. I mean, winning is not boring to them. As a spectator, you know, that second half, I mean, I, you know, that, that's exactly what I needed to put me to sleep. Having said that, I think he's probably the best college football coach ever. Uh, he surpassed Bear Bryant in terms of national titles. He is evolved. He's 70. He probably has more national titles in his future. Uh, He's proven that he knows how to adapt, and he just wins. Now, the question I got from someone yesterday in this building was, is he the best sports coach ever? And I said, I don't think so. Because I look at those two years in Miami, and he said, well, yeah, but what if he had signed Breeze instead of Culpepper? Well, right off the bat, he didn't. Okay. So that didn't happen. But if you want to play a hypothetical right. and we typically do that in terms of how it would have impacted both the Saints and college football. Um, if you want to do that, fine, but there's no evidence to suggest that Saban, who's a defensive specialist, can, you know, uh, do what Sean Payton did in New Orleans with Breeze. I think there was evidence that in 2 years in a pro locker room, Saban did not have the autonomy and perhaps the respect that he has in a college locker room. I mean, I've talked to players that were on the Dolphins team that played for Saban. Heath Evans shared a story of a teammate of his that, that, you know, was experiencing a seizure in the locker room and and Saban just kind of stepped over him and walked away. And the point is there were a lot of you know, he he didn't seem to fit in that locker room and the players didn't seem to really have a, a, a ton of Respect for him, the way that at a college program, he kind of runs the ship. The respect is there, the control is there, the success is there, and 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 he's even admitted, you know, the NFL wasn't for me. So I think as far as as Saban goes, best college football coach ever, I'll give you that. And maybe you disagree. I mean, you can feel free to throw some other names out there. But in terms of best coach ever, I. I I think that that question in itself is hard to quantify in most cases because if you're looking at you know a Gino Ariemma or uh, or or someone like that, it's it's like how, how you you only have that one sport to kind of can to kind of compare it to. You know what I'm saying? Right. It's like you don't you can't look at it and say, oh well, they did this and that. But in the case of Saban, you actually can and say, oh yeah, you did spend some time in the NFL as an assistant and just two years as a head coach, and you know what? It really wasn't all that great. Like the great John Wooden, um, you know, who won all those games at UCLA, was there for, you know, nearly 30 years. And prior to that, he was in college and high school. So you can't compare it to another sports, best coach ever. It's just a, a discussion that, you know, you being the sports historian that you are, you probably love. I, I don't even, I usually just will say no to anything because I don't think you can really quantify the correct answer there.
0: And that's the thing. You have to look at different er- different eras. Do you compare Nick Saban to an Arab Arsigi? Do you uh, compare him to insert any other coach that was around in the 70s, even back to the 60s, the 50s, and on before that? How do you quantify coaches in different eras? Do you look at championships? Do you look at victories? Do you look at success over the ages? I, I think for our purposes, though, in terms of modern football, let's just take the last – 40 to 50 years in college football. And I think Nick Saban has to be, if he's not at the top of that argument, certainly is in the argument. You look at what he did at LSU, comes in, takes a program that, since Curly Hallman had taken it over in the early 90s, had floundered. Jared DiNardo had some level of of success, but certainly not the level of success that Nick Saban brought the LSU program to. Saban comes in, his first season wins the Peach Bowl, but in what, his third, fourth season wins a national championship and goes to the NFL. Without Nick Saban, LSU I don't think is relevant right now. Nick Saban brought LSU back to relevance, goes to the NFL, has two years there, comes to Alabama. Same situation, Alabama had lost some sort of, uh, had lost a bit of its relevance, and now he's won his seventh national championship there in 13, 12, 13 years? It's, it's amazing what he's been able to do to that program. He has turned these programs around, made them consistent winners, and has been able to make them recruiting hotbeds. These were teams that were afterthoughts despite their histories but are now relevant because of what he's done. What other coach in college football today or what other coach in college football in history has been able to not just one program but multiple programs? Dick Saban has, and that by itself for me anyway, gives credence to the argument that he is the best college football coach of all time.
1: Yeah, no, I think he is. Um, I think we, and, and he's also one of those rare cases where you have evidence to suggest he's not the best coach of all time in any sport or in football, but certainly in college, um, there's there's plenty of evidence there. And I think I think he's only going to stack the the resume, to be honest with you, Ian and our guests. Ian, are, are some, not all, Are some sports dynasties boring? Because I I can think of a few off the top of my head.
0: Yes, but I was thinking about this because we talked about it last night, and I was trying to go back and think. The Boston Celtics dynasties of the 1950s and 60s, were they boring?
1: I don't know. I wasn't alive. (laughs) (laughs) uh, That's only I can only comment on the dynasties that I've lived through, and some of them, in my opinion, are a little boring. I can't go all the way back to the 50s, though.
0: Right, but you think back. when you think of dynasties in history. You think of the you think of the Montreal Canadiens, twenty three NHL championships. They dominated the league in the early part of its history. The Boston Celtics. We mentioned them. Uh, the Chicago Bulls were anything but boring back in the nineteen nineties. Correct. Uh, in terms of football, you look at the Patriots. They're anything but boring. They were the equivalent of the New World Order in pro football. Um, I, I was trying to think of it, and it's like I. I couldn't think of any of the major. Here's, here's what here's what sports made sports.
1: the Patriots not boring. Some of the scandals away from the field and the allegations in terms of the Gates and Rob Gronkowski. Um, you know, right. Bill Belichick it's, is not exactly bad. you know full of personality. When when you don't have any of that, the joke just becomes the lack of personality on the field. You know, people do the same thing about Saban. Well, he doesn't talk. And so, and then Brady, you know, he he never really said much during his time with the Pats. He just won a lot. And then it's like he's has a midlife crisis and and leaves the Pats and and to his credit is, you know, getting ready to play a playoff game where the Pats are sitting at home. But as soon as he leaves the Patriots, you know, he's doing two hour long sit downs with Howard Stern and. You know, buying a giant new beach house and all this other stuff. It's like, wow, that that has that always been there? Is that just coming out, or is it because the quote Patriot Way didn't call for it? So, the Patriots, they were close to being born, but they weren't because of, I think, negative press when it came to, you know, the Gates scandals, and then you know Rob Gronkowski just being a big kid. But it's not like he was there from the beginning. So, you kind of like the Bulls. And then the Showtime Lakers and the Celtics in the 80s, I mean they, there was a lot of personality there. There was oh, it was gotcha. very colorful. I mean there was like you said anything but boring. The Dallas Cowboys of of the early 90s, you know, from from 91 to 95, like granted it was a short period of time, but holy cow. I mean you either loved them or you absolutely hated them and loathed them and they just had as much personality as you could possibly get. And some would, you know, I guess semantics, if you want to argue what the definition of personality is, go ahead. But I think everyone gets my point. They were anything with boring, right? That's the point.
0: Yeah, you know, If you want to look at a boring dynasty, and this one just came to mind, based on the criteria you laid, kind of stayed, you didn't hear much of anything from them. They stayed in their lane. The San Antonio Spurs. Sure. Sure. from 1999 uh, for, uh, up until a couple of years ago. 99
1: to 2014, they won five titles. From 99 to 07, they won four of those five. And they leaned into the, quote, boring moniker. I mean, they they had no problems doing that. In fact, they kind of enjoyed it. You know, when your best player is nicknamed Mr. Fundamental, I like fundamentals and it works, but I, I don't think their fan base was, like, bothered by it. Like, the difference is... The the Spurs fan base is kind of like an embodiment of like pop and 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 the Spurs, right? It's just very by the book. We win a lot. You don't have to like it. We know how to play real basketball. And have a nice day. Good to see you, right? Whereas with Bama and their football, all the rah-rah, colorful stuff, that all just comes from their fan base. That all just comes from like message boards and SEC and oh hi, Paul and Paul Feinbaum and that whole like just the, the whole fandom and crazy fandom of a Crimson Tide fan and, and the, the, you know, the idiot that poisoned the trees at Auburn and and all like, that's where it all, that's where all the headlines, when it just comes to the actual like program and the way they conduct their business, they are not rah-rah. They are by the book. It is fundamental. It is sound. It is technique. It is professional. It is, we're not going to get caught up in the headlines. It is a lot like the Spurs. The only difference is, the fan base and just the craziness of college football. So, in terms of actually just on the field and the way they do it, and and that's not even to say that their play on the field is boring because Saban has evolved and they're throwing it all over the field and airing it out. And I get it, but at some point, it's like, you know, you 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 call UL women's basketball. I think UConn is good for women's basketball and all the success they had. But they there was there was a five year span Ian where they won over ninety nine percent of their games, and so when the outcome is kind of already, you know, like you remember when it comes to dynasties, you remember the great team's losses more than you remember their wins. Don't you? Like right. the, the Patriots, you remember, you know, David Tyrese catch off the helmet for UConn women. I remember when Mississippi State upset them in the final four. And it was like, oh my God, like that actually happened. Right. Like those are mm-hmm. the moments you remember. And in it, depending on the sport, like the New York Yankees are one of the, most popular franchises on the planet. They're a global brand and one of the most hated, and, and one of the most hated. Right? Somehow, I kind of found their dynasty of the '90s to be sort of boring, only because they won four World Series in five years. They only lost like, in terms of like, in terms of like they. I think there were sixteen and three in World Series games. Like you knew it was going to happen. There was a season where they won like 114 regular season games and. At some point, when it's the, when, the when it's the same team and it's happening again and it's just complete dominance, I think outside of you know the 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 fan base, the rest of the viewers are like, all right. I, I mean, should we? It was kind of like the second half of the game the other night where I was dozing off. I mean, I think Chris Fowler and Kurt Hurstry are as good as it gets in the in the announce booth, but they had to basically change how they're calling a game to let's just sit back and appreciate greatness. And at some point, I guess I. I I probably should just do that, but after a little while, man, I just I kind of get bored.
0: And to give Herb Street and Fowler credit, they did a good job with it. Brandon and I have been in that situation. This may be comparing apples to oranges, but Brandon and I have been in that situation where we're calling Acadiana games It's 63 nothing. in one case 72 to nothing a couple years ago, and we're just sitting back like, okay, how do we make this game interesting? And that's hard to do when one team is running roughshod over the other. The, only, the one time where we had a blowout score where it was interesting was the Sammy Houston game last year where the half that was 42 or 52 to 48. It was something weird. And by halftime, Dylan Monette had scored six touchdowns on the ground. And the yeah. final score, I think, was 82 to 40-something. That's when you're Acadian calling the fights in the, stands, right? in the yeah. stands, right? Yeah.
1: So that's when you're calling the fights in the stands, right?
0: Oh, right. That was, I think, the next week. I think that was the week after the fight in the stands.
1: <laughs> that was pretty good, man. That was pretty good. <sighs> I, I, I'm trying to. But I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. trying. I'm trying to pull. I'm trying to pull up the sound here so we can hear it.
0: While you do that, I'll fill in. But that's the weird thing from a broadcast standpoint. It's when you're trying to broadcast a game that is a blowout. And you've got a really, a really good team on one end. Or in that case, you have two teams that on paper are great. It should be a great matchup. should be an exciting game, but one of them just runs away from it, uh, runs away with the game, whether it be at, from the start or even if it just turns into a one-sided affair. You've got to figure out how to make it interesting. What are those backstories? How do you keep your audience's attention without having someone in the stands pull somebody's weave out? It's a challenge, and you've got to be able to to make it work. Thankfully, in Brandon's, in my case, we've got a good rapport, and we can make it work, and we can rip off of each other. But in a game like Monday night, even for as good as Fowler and Herb Street are, that's a game where you're watching on TV. It's like eh, maybe it's time to go to bed. You know what's going to happen, and then when you do go to bed, you just hope you don't wake up and and that you've missed something when you have woken up.
1: Is kid a football a dynasty? And how do you think yeah. their fans view it as opposed to somebody who's a casual fan that just kind of wants to watch high school football?
0: Yes. From a casual football uh, fan standpoint, absolutely. Now, I don't know if you can even reckon Rams diehards would say they are because to them, this is kind of expected. Matt McCullough certainly won't say his team is a dynasty, A, because he's humble. He's captain coach speak. I love Matt, but he is the king of coach speak. Uh, let's not uh, fool ourselves. But just in terms of every criteria, consecutive championships sustained success over an amount of time, you look back at the fact this team has won two state championships, two of the last three state championships, they've won six state titles over the course of, what, the last 15 years? I think they certainly qualify as Dynasty. And in the years where they've not won state championships, they've gone as far as they've never been any uh, lower than the quarterfinals. This is a team that has sustained success. They've won championships, they've continued to win championships, and considering they've won two of the last three, absolutely they qualify as a dynasty.
1: Ian Ozan, Brandon Como, about 14 months ago, 15 months ago on this call,
0: 606 ago in the third quarter, Acadiana leads New Iberia 32 to nothing. A fight going on in the stands right now. We'll get back to that in a second. As Acadiana kicks this one off, Guidry sends it into the end zone. 6.06 to go. New Iberia will have possession at a 20-yard line. Chief of Police Chad Leger is in the middle of the fray. Another police officer in the middle of the fray. From what we can see here, the only casualty of that fight is somebody's weave. <laughs> 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 and made perpetual light shine upon it. <laughs> We knew it was a hairy situation, but we didn't know how hairy. On first down, handoff to Markel Linzer. He runs it up the gut for a yard. End of the 21 5.55 to go in the third quarter.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, get your split, the five tickets ready.
0: Get your tickets ready. Yeah, a lot of folks wigging out in the student section right now. <laughs> Gain of six on the play, actually, to the 26 yard line, second and four.
1: I mean, it, Brandon Como is just great to have as a partner because he is easy to make laugh, Ian. So, like, if you're on the fence of oh, whether or not you yeah. should keep making jokes, you're not even sure if they're funny, but Brandon's going to laugh at him and he's going to mean it.
0: And what made it better is that one of the assistant coaches is off to the side laughing his butt off. Brandon's brother was our stat guy that season. And you may have heard, as when I said Markel Lindzer's name, I had to stifle a laugh. I almost broke down. Listening to it here, I was, I'm laughing right now on my end of the phone. But that, that was one where I'm going and I'm thinking to myself, all right, you got Brandon on a roll. You've got to keep this going as long as you can. Because that's one of those games where you've got to make it interesting. I think at that point, we had just come back from half. It was 28 nothing, 35 nothing. New Iberia hadn't scored. And I'm trying to find a way. Okay, we've got something going on in the stands. It looks serious. Turns out it's not. Let's lighten the mood here. And let's at least have some fun during a game that's a blowout so far. And we did. I didn't expect Brandon. I knew I'd get Brandon to crack. I didn't expect him. i get him to crack that badly, nor did I expect anybody else in the press box to be paying attention. One of the assistant coaches started laughing. Josh started laughing. And a couple people on the other side of the press box were, were laughing too. Cause I, I looked over and saw them. and was like, Oh God, what have I done? What have I done now? ESPN
1: 1420 and.com. Ian Ozan has been our guest. Alrighty. And to wrap it up here, um, Jeopardy yesterday. I know you you've been watching Jeopardy since as long as you can remember, right? Yeah, I mean they they had a uh, their first show the other day without the late great Alex Trebek. Ken Jennings uh, stepped up to the lectern and you know said some nice things. Aaron Rodgers, the Green Bay Packers quarterback who awaits the Rams this week, was on the Pat McAfee show the other day and said, I don't know if he was supposed to. But he let it slip that he was going to be hosting an episode of Jeopardy as a guest host. Uh, Jeopardy would not confirm this, but uh, Rodgers was then asked about it later and said, quote, he may have jumped the gun a little bit, end quote. Uh, And he apologized to the Jeopardy producers. Um, Like you, he's been watching it kind of his whole life. Aaron Rodgers, good host, bad host for Jeopardy? What are your thoughts?
0: We'll find out. I like the decision, though, because in terms of Celebrity Jeopardy, some of the celebrities that play aren't that great. Aaron Rodgers is one of the better Celebrity Jeopardy players that that show has ever had. He's smart. He knows his stuff. People know him, too. He's got name recognition, whether or not you love him or hate him as a sports fan. You know who he is. He's a familiar face, much like Katie is, She'll be one of the guest hosts. She'll be hosting a week. That's another one that got leaked that probably wasn't supposed to and Jeopardy hasn't confirmed yet, but she signed on to do a week ken jennings love him hate him as a jeopardy contestant the game he's a familiar face and right now what jeopardy's trying to do is bring in familiar faces not just for the general public but also for the fans of the show as well for those of us who are are jeopardy lifers the last couple of months have been rough i i watched alex's last show on friday that was one of the if anything good came out of not being able to travel to Little Rock is that I was, be, I was able to be home Friday and watch the last episode. And I thought it would be an emotional trip. I got through the show. When they did that final montage at the end, the last 90 seconds, and Trebek for the last time, they had a, a bunch of clips back-to-back reset so long. I lost it. That was the moment I realized a part of my life had died. A part of Americana had left, was not coming back, and what Jeopardy has to do now is find people who will continue the game, who will make the game flow the way Alex did, and make it and make Jeopardy, how can I word it, make it what it was, and make the game be the game, even though the man who made it happen won't be there. Ken Jennings has done a good job of that so far. He has made the game flow. He's made the game about the players, not himself. Aaron Rodgers, I think, will do that. People know who he is. He doesn't have to make the game about himself. And he's been a fan long enough to know how the game flows, how the cadence of the clues goes. And the fact of the matter is the producers of the show will help guide him. If he has issues, if he has questions, they'll answer them they will help make him be the best host he can be. I like the choice. Whether or not he jumped the gun, I don't care. When I saw that news on SportsCenter last night, I was like, you know what? I never would have thought of it, but that is a damn good choice uh, for guest host. Now, I don't know if he'll be the permanent host because he still has time left in the NFL. But I'm interested to see what he does when his time comes. When the season's over, he'll go to Culver City. He'll tape uh, his week of shows in a day. And... And then we'll see the results of it later in the spring. I'm looking forward to it. Aside from Ken Jennings, he might be the guest host I'm most excited to see on air.
1: Last question. Ian Ozan has been our guest. It's ESPN 1420. Great Scott Show. I'm Scott Prather. If you were were hosting Celebrity Jeopardy, but Mm -hmm. locally, like in the Acadiana area, for charity, right, who are uh-huh. the Who are the three local celebrity contestants you would want on the show if
0: you were hosting? Oh God, you're gonna put me on the spot with this. Oh Lord, <laughs> the three the three celebrity Jeopardy contestants. If I were doing something locally, the first thing that comes to mind is Chuck Huebner because God knows what will come out of his mouth. Okay, and Chuck is is brilliant. Chuck is bright. I would he's the first one who comes to mind immediately. If Roe were still with us, he definitely would have been a shoo-winner, but obviously, for obvious reasons, that's out the question. Um, Chuckles, um, now I'm going through my Rolodex of, of local celebrities.
1: You still Just have a Rolodex? I'm
0: going to stick right? with... Huh?
1: You have a Rolodex,
0: Ian? Yes, I do. Okay. Uh Jim Hummel might be another one. I would like to see how he would shape up, but I don't know if, if he would say yes. But if I'm doing a hypothetical here, I'm going Chuck Huebner, Jim Hummel, and who else would be in there? Who would be a third person who, could, who would be bright, bubbly, would lighten up the mood? Doesn't necessarily have to be a good contestant, but, but would be a damn good player for entertainment value. Man... I wish you'd have told me this last night. It would have given me time to prepare. Oh no, man, I got to put you on the spot. Oh, Lord?
1: <laughs> I I've stumped Ian Ozan.
0: You stumped me. You have you have completely and stumped me. Uh, God! I'm I don't know who my third player would be. I have to get I'm back not, to you on
1: that. No, no, I'm not letting you leave until you name someone else. You can, change, okay. you can change it next time you come on if you
0: want. Okay. So I said Chuck. I said Jim Hummel. I'm going to go with my boss, Leticia Walker, just because, like Chuck, I don't know what she would say if she to get up there. She I, tried out for Family Feud. She tried out for The Price is Right. I'll give her her game show wish and put her on Celebrity Lafayette Jeopardy.
1: I noticed you didn't throw Rob Perillo out there, dude.
0: Well, here's the thing, because Rob is a juggernaut. I did a trivia event with him back in July. And he, and I was like, you know what? I, I can't hang. Rob is good. I've got to even the playing field somehow. I almost said Rob too, but if I put Jim, if I put Jim, Rob, and Chuck, someone would accuse me right. of you leaving the ladies out. Ian, Ian is if going to I, be thinking
1: to about this for the next year, very much in depth. I don't know, man. Maybe write a post on it. I think it'd be great.
0: <laughs> you know what, Jim, 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 Rob, and Chuck on Celebrity Jeopardy? Oh my God, that! You do that for celebrity and give all of them uh, some postables while they're on uh, while they're playing the game. That actually might work. Hey,
1: let's do something local for charity, man. You're the host. Let's work it out.
0: I- I'll have my people contact your people. I'll go through my roll of deck. I think we app. have the
1: same people, Ian. But we could talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> have a good one, man. Thanks for taking the time.
0: You too, brother. Appreciate it.
1: You got it. You know, Zan, our guests, don't go anywhere. The 8 o'clock hour of the Great Scott Show is next. Mike Triplett at 8.15, talking Saints football. Danny Broussard, Coach Danny Broussard, at 8.45. Wildcard ratings are in from the weekend in the NFL. The new triple headers, a little surprising. The results, we'll give it to you next on ESPN1420.com. ncom